comedy is such a cool magic trick where you can like string some words in an order and get a physical response from other people where you're like, wow, I did that. That's cool. And I've always been a writer. So it's such an incredible thing to like be able to say something you wrote and see immediately what kind of reaction that gets. There's not a lot of art forms where that's an option, where you get to take something that you wrote and you performed and you also reap the benefits of it immediately. Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 93 with Rachel Weeks. Rachel is a podcaster, Commander Advisor Group member, and comedian. You may also know Rachel from her excellent work on the Commander Spear podcast or her appearances on Game Nights. Naturally, we're going to be talking a lot of magic today, a lot of commander, a lot of brewing, but also we're going to be diving a bit into Rachel's comedy background and how that actually got her to start playing magic, of all things. If you've ever wanted to know more about Rachel beyond the commander stuff, definitely give this a listen. A few quick words before we start. You can support Humans of Magic in the following ways. Listen to the backlog of podcasts. Humansofmagic.com is where you can find everything. We're also featured on StarCityGames.com. If you want to follow us on social media, we can be found at Humans of Magic on Twitter and the same name, Humans of Magic on Instagram. Last but not least, if you want to support the show in an extra way, please visit patreon.com slash humansofmagic where you can get access to an exclusive Discord and some other perks. The phenomenal music you hear in this episode and every episode of Humans of Magic is supplied by Kupla. That's spelled K-U-P-L-A. Kupla is an absolutely fantastic musician. He's a magic player and you can find all of his music on all the streaming platforms, including Spotify and SoundCloud. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter as well, Kupla Sound, and uh, tell him Humans of Magic said hi. We can start over if you'd prefer. <laughs> okay, let's try that. Okay. By the way, this is all my fault, not yours. It's totally fine. <laughs> Today on Humans of Magic, I'm here with podcaster, CAG member, and comedian, Rachel Weeks. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. You are in bright and sunny LA, is that right, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken? Yes, I am in in Los Angeles. You can see some of the sun peeking in still, but... um... Yeah, I've been in L.A. for about three years, but I was born and raised outside of Chicago. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, we used an acronym in the intro that CAG is Commander Advisory Group. Mm -hmm. Can you let us know what it's been like to be in the CAG and just just that whole process of, you know, joining the CAG and now being a full-fledged member? What's that been like? Man, I mean, it was such an honor to be asked, like, First of all, um, 
Sheldon listened to the podcast and uh, my my name came up in, in conversations early and they reached out to be like, you want to do this? <laughs> and, and I said, yes. What a lot of people don't know is it's sort of an ongoing thing. We, we have a Discord group that's an ongoing discussion sort of throughout the year. We have quarterly meetings uh, where we talk about how things are going and do updates on, on you know, stuff we're keeping a close eye on and, um, you know, pr- bring in any concerns or, you know, um, findings that, that we've been looking at for the last quarter to the rules committee to make their decisions. Um, a big thing that not, not everybody knows is the, is the advisory group does nothing but advises. We, we have nothing to do with, with how the rules actually come down. It's just, we bring our experience as commander players and creators and members of this community to the rules committees like eyes and, they use that to inform their decisions. They must take it very seriously, though, when you guys advise it, right? You must have been involved in saying, like, this should happen, and said mm-hmm. thing happens, right? Yeah, I mean, we we offer offer either support or insight, and, like, we can all say, like, I think this is a good idea, or this is not a bad idea, but ultim- ultimately it comes down to comes down to the rules committee to, to make those decisions. Yeah, so... I know they have they have a lot of conversations that they have they have separate from us, but I yeah they put people on the advisory group that they respect and are like want our opinions on this stuff. So, are there opinions or things that you guys as a group like practically put forward? And then are there other things that maybe they say here's a topic? What do you guys think about it? Or is it a a mixture of the two? Or something it's else. definitely both there's like we can bring concerns where we're like i'm seeing a lot of this or i'm seeing a lot of that and try and get other people's feedback on it and make sure it's on you know it's on the rules committee's radar just to keep an eye on um but it's definitely it goes both ways where they're like okay so we've been talking about this what what are your opinions on that the advisory group is specifically designed to represent as much of the the commander community as possible. So we want people that play sort of in all different environments, in all different places around the world, in all different power levels. Um, so we all kind of come at approach the game in a different way and have different experiences, and that's a big part of, you know, our job is to is to have those experiences. So I come from like a, a largely game store background where a lot of the gameplay that I was doing for a very, very long time was, was just at a game store and playing with playing with uh, untrusted pods, which is a term used for just playing with strangers. You know, it also comes in from, like, all experience I have playing with other content creators and other streamers and our patrons and just anyone that you really have, you have access to. How big is the commander or magic commander scene in LA I mean that's where you are so I imagine you've been doing this for a very long time so maybe describe for me what it's like the community over there well I mean there's a ton of creators over here and there's sort of more and more all the time this is where game nights is based this is where um uh and Olivia and Brian Kibler are both based there's there's a lot of a lot of creators here and there's a number of um, creators in San Francisco as well, so not super far from us. 
Um, in terms of just the, the Los Angeles scene, I, I think it's like any other scene where it's just like there's pockets of people that just play with their own friend groups. And then there's um, we're lucky to have sort of our pick of game stores. It's a big city. So there's, you know, 15, 20 game stores around the city um, that you can you can go to for different vibes or different formats or, you know, even different nights if you're like, okay, I want to play Commander on a Thursday night. Which, which game store has Commander night on Thursday night? Um, so I would say we have access to a lot of like magic resources. It's not, it's not like a small town where you're like, all right, there's one game store and whatever they got is what they got. Um, you know, we've got a, got a lot of game stores and it, there's a lot of competition for, for game stores as well. So if there's a lot of competition, it just means that the game stores are all trying to do their best and they have to be mm-hmm. top notch and whatnot, right? Just in terms of the facilities or offerings, things yeah. like that. I mean, definitely in terms of events and, and different game stores do different things better. There's like a couple of legacy stores and there's a number that are specialized in, you know, not even magic stuff. There's um, a shop that I've gone by a couple of times that's just primarily a Yu-Gi-Oh store. Like it's ent- entirely Yu-Gi-Oh singles. And they're, so you, they can get very focused um, in ways that game stores in, in other cities can't as, as much. But... But it's good. I mean, it's it's great. What's your favorite store to play in in LA? Uh, my go-to store is Turn Zero Games in Koreatown, um, and that is it's funny that that was the store I went to because I when I first moved to Los Angeles, I lived in Burbank, so I lived on the north side uh, of the city, and. The reason I went to Turn Zero, which is in Koreatown, about 40 minutes from like where I lived in, in traffic. Um, not a, a too many miles, but like, you know, LA traffic. Um, but my brother was living on the south side. So we met in the middle at Turn Zero Games to, to play Commander together. Because my brother, my brother lives in Los Angeles and plays, plays Magic as well. Um, and then, you know, I just sort of started to feel at home there. And that's where I met um, a number of creators and a lot of my friends. And that's where I brought uh, Dan to play. And that's where I brought uh, my buddy Casey. That's where I met my boyfriend. It's, you know, the game store becomes a home at some point. Yeah. Are you alternating between different LGSs or stores? Or it's like you just have one or two that you prefer because it's the people you know are there? Turn Zeroes is my go-to these days. I live a lot closer to it now, so it's my primary one. Uh, when I was still living in Burbank, I went to Emerald Knights uh, every once in a while just to see what they had. Um, if I could, if I could pick up singles or sleeves or whatever, it was a lot closer to my house. Um, there's also an incredible game store that doesn't do a lot of gameplay because it's pretty small, but they have the greatest singles collection in the city by far. It's called Nightwear. And that was that was actually very close to my old old place. There, it's the kind of shop where you can walk into and be like, "I'm looking for an uncommon from Invasion," and they'd be like, "All right, yeah, we got that." So she, you know, climbed through forty shelves of magic singles and and pull out exactly the exactly the card you're looking for. So um, those are probably the three I've spent the most time in 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 LA. But it's uh nightwear and and uh turn zero has have taken the most of my money <laughs> man i i love to go to nightwear someday 
I've heard about Nightwear all these years because I, so I'm in China now, but I used to, mm-hmm. I grew up in Canada. I used to, on the West Coast. So I grew up in Vancouver near Seattle. Mm-hmm. And on the West Coast, we always heard about Nightwear because there were these, um, they, they I, I don't know if they still have them now, but they used to have these legacy format tournaments and like, yep. like for big, big prizes. And, they, and I guess going to what you said, it's kind of like they have just an extensive inventory of every card. So it's like people mm-hmm. would tell me that, Oh, you know, I play in this tournament at night where I get the store credit and then I could actually like build my deck because they had everything with the winnings. And yeah, I, I just wish one day, you know, <laughs> it's an incredible it, place. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, another really cool thing that they do uh, is because they're a legacy store. It, there's a high barrier to entry for legacy, of course, but they they will lend out legacy decks oh. for you to compete in tournaments so i they only have so many obviously but she has this incredible collection of cards so there's like you can check out legacy decks and play them in the tournaments uh at their store okay so she is the uh you're referring to the store owner like someone who's been running it all this time her and her husband have been have been running it every time i've been in there it's just it's just her working there that is remarkable yeah so going back to the keg can you give me like one or two like inside baseball stories? Like just maybe something that's already happened before. So you're, it's mm-hmm. not like confidential information, but yeah. just what, what it's actually <laughs> like that dynamic. Cause you mentioned the, the discord and having people with different backgrounds. I had the, the honor of talking to Olivia Gilbert Hicks, like uh, a while mm-hmm. back for this podcast. So it was from her point of view, not yours. So I'm curious if you have any interesting stories or anecdotes to share. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's like, there's always conversation going on about different cards and like the, the cards that people are, are concerned about, like whole reacher came up pretty early and it was one of those cards where we're like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, there's been less and less paper play. It's hard to get any feedback from the community on this. So we kind of dragged our feet having a full conversation about it. It was, it was very difficult to have, to have conversations about big decisions like bannings in the last couple of years, because there just wasn't that much input. Um, you know, you can, you can play with people online, but it, it really felt like a closed circuit where it was just, I was just playing with content creators and we were sort of just playing with each other. And I really wasn't getting access to like the community at large. I wasn't playing in a game store. I wasn't, you know, we weren't playing at magic fests or whatever. So it was hard to get, you know what it felt felt like real input from anybody um and once that paper play started to kind of start happening again more and more of us on the advisory group were like yeah we're seeing a lot of this card like a, a lot and it's not just one of the things that the rules committee really looks for is that it's a card that is causing problems n- like not just in higher power games but specifically in like lower power pods and like the issue wasn't that Hull Breacher was being combined with with wheels necessarily like that obviously is part of the issue but the it was showing up in like merfolk tribal and pirate tribal and it was just sort of a fun thing for people to do like they enjoyed playing with Hull Breacher and it's that's it's that sort of like temptation that will get a card banned rather than just raw power just being so like generally applicable you mean or 
it's um yeah the fact that everybody wants to play with it like it's there's a lot of conversation about like people wanting Thassa's Oracle band um and I think the the thing that has been an issue with Thassa's Oracle is it doesn't really show up in casual pods like it's not it's not a win con that has seeped into a lot of tabletop things so the rules committee it doesn't prioritize that um that as a ban just because the, you know the ban list is not we're not going to be able to control power level with a ban list it's just not ever going to be a possible thing when you have access to all of the cards all of the time um so it, it it's interesting like and a whole breacher of Gibby became a problem because you know it was a problem at higher power tables but also it was showing up and just like being a menace at lower power more casual tables um so that that's one of the big things that they they look for and it took so long for us to sort of make moves on it because you know we just weren't getting any any feedback it was a, a dead zone for a lot of things was it a unanimous decision within the keg? Did you guys have to like discuss it for weeks or yeah, like nothing? Nothing's ever unanimous. I mean, like at, at all, we all come from so many different backgrounds that it's like, everybody's just here to be like, I like it. I don't like it for these reasons. And, um, you know, there's, there's people on, on the keg that are like, I don't want to see any cards banned. It's like, I don't think that's a helpful thing that we're doing. And there's, you know, there's people that want to, take a liberal attitude toward banning and it's so it's hard to get everybody on the same page but that's sort of why it's valuable um is that is you come with input and it all sort of gets run through the computer that is the rules committee and they it's all on their shoulders to to make that final call so on that spectrum like where are you are you uh on one side or are you in the middle or in terms of bands generally or on hull breacher on bands generally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess you're probably on the band hall because it's been banned. No, so. yeah. um, no I, I think um, bands should be used as, as carefully as we possibly can. I, I am on team let people play with their cards as much as I possibly can. Because that's why people want to come to this format. You know, it's like, I want to play the cards that I have a special love for. Um, and I don't love the, I don't want to make decisions on what's fun or what's like poisonous to a game. I don't, I think that's for a table to decide. That's for a play group to decide what kind of game they want to have. Um, because some, like some tables just love, an opposition agent and like want to be the bad guy at the table. And that's like a big part of their friends groups, like energy. And some people never want to see an opposition agent ever in their whole life. So it's like, who are we to tell a group of commander players that they're playing it wrong because they're not. Having said that, do you have any personal pet peeves when opponents play certain types of decks? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not a great fan of repeatable edicts. That's a big thing that I've talked about a lot, like Grave Pact effects or Dictate, Dictate of Erebos. Um, 
Uh, on the same note, I don't love like an aura shards. These sort of permanent based removal that tend to just grind a game to a halt rather than moving the game forward um, is the stuff that I, I would prefer not to play against. Just because commander games are long. Like they're, they take a long time to complete. So when you introduce something that just like grinds the game progress to an incredibly slow, like ugh, slog. And just so you can sort of get to your win con, it's it's like, I, I would rather the game just move at a decent clip. Um, and I think these those permanent based removal pieces um, tend to contribute to a real slog, particularly in casual games. If I'm playing CEDH, play whatever you want. Like we're we're here to we're here to win we're here to win fast and we know that there's like you know there's the the social contract is is out the window to some extent so you just reminded me of a tweet you had some time ago about how if the game goes long maybe every card should just have a a cycler on a on a wrath <laughs> effect like that that seems like a good way to yeah. to to work that out right I mean yeah it's like. Let's just not play I, that card I, and I, move on. <laughs> one of the things that, that Dan and I have talked about on, on Commander Sphere is that the perfect Commander game it ha- should have like an arc like a movie. You know, it's about an hour and a half. It like there's a little bit of setup. There's a cool like there's a cool climax, and like then there's, there's a resolution, one, two, three, and we all go home. Yeah. Yes, and and it's done after an hour and a half. And it like wh- whoever however it ends, fine. Whatever, like it's fine. <laughs> And it, it, at some point, the winner doesn't matter. We just want the game to... We want to move on to the next game. Um, so that's... The games that make... Or cards that make it difficult for a game to really have that arc or have that growth and that climax into into something like big and splashy and then just get resolved and with a win and we and we move on are the ones that are, are like... I have a I have a tough time with, especially late in the game, where you're like, we're two hours deep, and somebody resolves like a removal spell for everything. You're like, okay, do you have a way to win? Because um, <laughs> we're gonna be here for another hour. Or back to Act One. It's like we just reset everything. So it's exactly, like instead of this yeah. like Hollywood ending that's fun, now you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, back to uh, the opening yeah. intro of the movie or something, right? Yeah, it's like some you're watching a movie and somebody keeps hitting rewind. Yeah. It's like at some point we we'll just finish the movie. <laughs> you know, like, well, I want to see it again. It's like we yeah. got we got to finish the movie. Um so yeah, that that's that's how I like a a commander game to sort of be shaped. That's uh I think that's why like the I mean, this is also something I want to ask you is like you you've been involved in in game nights and that's a very a much more scripted magic experience and it's always in some ways, in some ways it's always like it, it's not quite scripted because it's not like oh you know like literally what someone's going to draw from the top of their deck but it's just oh, yeah, like no. the banter the the recaps it's all really amazing and I, I know it's amazingly produced right everybody knows that yeah but mm-hmm. the, that's the good thing about it you sort of articulated what that is which i never really thought about is like it has a sort of like I don't know how to describe it like crescendo, like like there's a certain mm-hmm. progression in the gameplay. So I'm wondering how much of that is like plan or it's just kind of like you just have as people who are in content, you you guys just kind of know that's like 
where it should go, you know? So I'm, I'm curious about that. Josh, yeah. I mean, Josh and Jimmy do a really good job of knowing what an entertaining deck looks like and knowing, um, and, you know, picking people who know how to be entertaining and build entertaining decks. Um, there's like, they give us little addendums at the beginning the, of, of, of the experience when you're building your deck um, and just be like, we want, we want games to, to move along. So we don't like hard control or hard stack strategies. That being said, you can sort of do whatever you want. We just want it to be, you know, things to move. Um, so sometimes they'll have feedback on decks, but most of the time people, people know, um, you know, know what a game night's deck looks like. And they've been very clear about their brand for so long that usually the people who, who make it on the show know what a game night's deck looks like and um, play it in that way. And, and Josh and Jimmy are so, they're really um, supportive of, of how everybody plays in the moment. You know, they're like, if you can take a player out, take a player out. Like, don't, like we're we're here to tell a story. We want the game to move forward. We don't want it to be four hour game. So just like take the game actions, do the thing that's sweet. And if that means like if that means a player dies, we'd prefer it to be you know one of one of them. They're like if you can if you can take a player out early, we'd prefer it be us because we we do so many of these. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, they're very supportive and and provide a lot of information about you know, making the games as fun and exciting to, to watch as possible. That being said, it is it is not at all scripted. <laughs> it is not at all. People are like, mm, you write that down. It's like, do you you honestly think we stack our decks? <laughs> do you know how much work it's that is? It's not like the starter decks <laughs> where the, huge... the deck is like pre-shuffled or something, right? It's it's just it's insane. A, no. yeah. You just you just play a game and and the, the people they pick are, are entertaining to watch and provide all the entertainment that you need uh, rather than, you know, trying to write write a commander game. Commander's fun. Commander games are fun. So that's why the games are fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. You don't actually have to uh to fake that. It just comes out if you pick if you pick the right yeah. decks and I, I guess really the right people with the right personalities, then it's gonna be okay, right? Yeah. I mean they've been doing them for this for so long that they they just they know how to make a great show. And it, it shows when you're on set and it shows when you're watching as an audience member. Um yeah, it's been such a pleasure to be a part of. Oh my god! What so <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you go deeper into that? Like, what's what's that experience been like? I know you've been in, in game nights at least twice, right? Twice, yeah. I did uh, Commander Legends and I did Kaldheim. Um, so I played a I played a Rogue Rock Chroma deck and I played a Toski Voltron deck. On, there you go on game nights, um, and it's it's amazing. I mean, they like are are really professional and they set you up for everything and you you find out you're going to be on and you have a couple days to build a deck given they give you some very top secret spoilers uh very top secret uh so that's like a fun thing where you get you get early access to to see all the new all the new legends specifically right uh so you can build your deck and um then yeah it's um you 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 bring you show up and the deck is there for you and um the the most scripted thing about the show is just like how you move your hands 
<laughs> it's oh, like, really? You know, how, how you, like, don't touch your board, don't play with your board. And that's all yeah. for editing purposes, just to yeah. make their life easier. Don't flick your cards, like basic productions. Basically stuff. what, like, 99% of yeah. Magic players do. Don't do, don't do that. Yeah, uh, stop fiddling. Like fidgeting with the cards, like micro adjustments yeah. with millimeters. Yeah. Yep. That was a terrible habit of mine. The hardest thing is like tapping lands because your lands are all in this horrible pile and uh, trying to keep it organized so you can both play well and it's easy for them to edit and you have the banter. It's hard. It's, it's really hard. People are like, how did you miss that? And it was like, there's a ton of pressure. <laughs> it's like eight people in the room and four cameras and <laughs> oh yeah I mean, the games be... take a very long time yeah uh i mean i don't know how long the shooting time of an episode is but i imagine it must be a long time right it's most of a day you show up on set quite early and you after you know after all the shooting's done you you leave it so our call time is usually like eight thirty, and you're done by i don't know six it's it's a long day yeah you know, you get you get breaks and everything, but when you first got the invite, did you how 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 did you feel about like having to build the deck and like going into it? Like, did you? It was can you describe? <laughs> okay, I, I, was, I, I you kind of implied oh, that, but I, I didn't want to assume. Oh, it's so, so scary. Like, um, it's like kind of nervous. Yeah. Yeah, because you're. This is like the largest platform that you're ever going to play commander on, right? That it doesn't get any bigger than game nights, and you build a deck with com- a commander you've seen you know, for two days. Uh, you've never played the deck before other than, you know, goldfishing with yourself. And then you show up to play it in front of, you know, two and a half million people or however many people watch. It's a lot, yeah. And and there's, and people get in the comments and have their thoughts about your deck and how you played it and what you said and who you are. And it's, it's very nerve wracking. But it, that being said, it's like, it's a ton of fun and it's a huge honor. Like when I moved to to Los Angeles, I had been playing commander for a little while and I moved to LA to be a comedian. Um, and I was like, wouldn't that be crazy if I got on game nights? Wouldn't that be nuts? Like, cause I knew, <laughs> cause I knew they were based in, in LA. Yeah. And, um, they asked me to do the commander legends one because they were keeping, keeping guests local. It was in the middle of a pandemic. So nobody right. was traveling and nobody was, you know, Nobody was doing anything. So I just sort of happened to be in the right place at the right time. Our podcast had been doing pretty well. I had just started coming up in conversations um, about the Commander Advisory Group. And um, I lived here. So I got very lucky. Hey, but, um, you know, it's like what they say. You got to put yourself in a position to succeed, right? So that's why you that's why you move. That's why you go to the place where stuff is. Um so you can't you're you're in a position to get lucky so how was the kaldheim episode received overall i mean i can only tell from looking at the comments myself now on youtube which <laughs> seemed very yeah. positive uh 90 mm-hmm. of it but i mean how did you personally take that i guess that experience and sort of like the the takeaways from that oh man i mean I I built a deck that I absolutely loved and it was this silly pile and I knew it was going to be underpowered for the day and um, we I think we were we were all knew it was going to be a bit of a slugfest against this this coma deck because we we see everybody's deck lists beforehand so you know you're you're ready going into it um, and we had a blast it was like 
whatever it looks like from from the outside we had a we had a great time filming and and uh as long as it's fun to watch it's a success you know and i made this this goofy little deck that i was super proud of so it was it was great at, at any experience I've had, I've had with with game nights or with the command zone folks, it's always been extremely professional and just they take great care of you. Yeah, and I think Jimmy and Josh, no, I, not I think I know that they come from, I guess, a production background, and mm-hmm. so it really feels like based on how you described it that they're they're showrunners. Like they'll give you the notes on like this. Yeah. Is, these are the guidelines. You know here's your trailer, here's the bottled water, and maybe not that part, but, you know, it's, it's very, very professional. There's no, no trailer yet, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a fully professional set. They, they treat you like the performer you are. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a, a, a real blast. And to win with a Boros deck was so fun. That was, that was definitely my, like, crowning glory and in, in, uh, in game nights was was winning with that rogue rock chroma deck so during the filming of it maybe it's your past background that helps you in some way but how, how did you feel about it i know you said you were like terrified leading up to the the thing mm-hmm. but like the day of it was pretty much okay right or hopefully yeah i mean once once you sit down you're just playing commander and there's like there's some weird stuff that they the way they they want you to play and but it's just you know you're just there to be fun and they they're like we're here to make you look good and we're here to play a really fun game and and that's all it is um so yeah once once everything gets done i mean the most nerve-wracking thing about it is not even being a performer it's being a player (laughs) it's like trying to be good at magic trying to play this deck you never played before and hoping it works um yeah, that's the big thing. I mean, the worst fear is is going on game nights and your deck just falling on its face, which is totally possible. Um, so yeah, it the my biggest fear is is never like about the performing aspect. That's where I have probably the most experience. It's just about you know making a deck that's fun to watch and actually d- does something. <laughs> yeah. Although having said that, I I don't remember the last time I saw a game nights that was like really a dud. So um, Jimmy yeah. and Josh must do a really good job of just guiding that process to make sure that it never it never gets to that uh, that. Yeah, stage. I mean, they 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 know what makes a good game, so it's definitely like um, it's it's worked out really well for the the last few. And they book people who are great at commander and great at performing, and just it makes for a great show. So how did you, how did you learn? How did you get into magic initially? It sounds like it was before moving to LA, right? Yes, I started playing magic when I was a comedian living in Denver, um, and I was playing a lot of the DC deck building game with comedians, um, which is like a closed box drafting game and it's okay. a ton of fun and i loved it and i wanted to play it like five days a week oh really and they were like they were like okay you cannot play where you're gonna you're gonna play magic um <laughs> with the rest of us because a number of them played magic um and i had a friend took me up with the app the it was like magic duels i started playing on is like how i learned magic because arena didn't exist yet yeah um and mtgo is a nightmare 
mm-hmm. for for new players anyway. Um, so I learned magic on MTG duels, and then I had a friend sit down with me and and teach me the basics, and I built my first deck out of my friend's like long box of draft chaff, and um, I fell head over heels. Like we we were just playing weird little 60 card like legacy decks just casual piles you know like i had a i had a deck with eight soul sisters in it and like the horse that whenever you gain life you make a horse and those that those were like that was like my best 60 card deck (laughs) (laughs) so it was Um, real real like kitchen table stuff right just very real kitchen table stuff from the beginning um but and then it was funny. So I was playing with a group of comedians. There's like four or five of us. And we were talking about it in the green room at the, the comedy club in town. And another comedian came up to us and was like, are you guys talking about magic? And we were like, yeah. Shh. Yes. And they were like, a group of us play every Monday at, at this bar we used to go to all the time. It was like, they were like, we play every Monday with like six of us. You guys should come. And we found out that there was like eight other comedians that also played magic in Denver that we did not know played because nobody was talking about it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then I I became a part of a, a group of, you know, we had anywhere between 10 and 14 comedians and bartenders and friends playing commander together or, well, playing, playing magic together. Um, we were playing sort of a kitchen table multiplayer mishmash. So we were playing like 60 card decks against groups of, you know, there was sometimes we'd do um two-headed giant, sometimes we would do just like a uh free for all and then we we played a lot of emperor um which is a 3 on 3 format. Um and we were just getting the getting murdered by a couple of players. <laughs> just absolutely just the real ringers, huh? Yeah. Yeah, like I was playing I was playing like a minus 1 counter deck where I was like making the snakes with that with Hapatra. It was like a Hapatra green uh-huh. black minus 1 counter stack cuz it was right around right around when that set came out. Um and and then another guy was doing like you know painter servant grindstone combo, <laughs> some real serious so, heat. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like really losing, like really. Yeah. I was playing against like a stack of planeswalkers. It was just like you know they're they're playing six hundred dollar decks against our stacks of <laughs> quarters. Traff, um, chaff, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we were just getting getting beat up um, at the table and still having fun, but like losing a lot. And right around then, I found Game Nights. Um, And I started, I was just trying to watch Magic online. And the first thing that comes up when you search for just Magic gameplay is Game Nights. And I watched all of it, like, while I was working. Just every episode I could get my paws on. And I was like, this is what we're doing, but this has, like, rules. Um, So, and and more importantly, Painter Servant was banned. (laughs) (laughs) Not allowed here. Yeah. Um, so I brought Commander to that group. And I oh. was like, I was like, this is this is a format that I am interested in trying. 
And um, from there, we pretty much fully transitioned into into an all commander play play group. So you were the catalyst. Like you you saw mm-hmm. game nights, the hundred card decks, and you're like, hey folks, let's let's do hundred card decks now. Let's not do painter grindstone. Yeah. Let's do singleton hundred card decks. Everybody was just like, let's try it. It just yeah. I mean, it just looked closer to what we were doing, but it had like some rules, you know. Yeah. Like we had, we had a, a couple of guys come to like friends of friends that would come and play with us. And they're like, what are you playing? And we're like, do you know magic? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it like, it like gave us a format. It gave us an answer to that question. Um, and I bought the Lord Wingrace precon and I brought, bought the Sahili precon. And those were my first two commander decks. Yeah. Were those planeswalker decks. Yeah. So what's harder, telling people that you are in comedy or telling people that you play magic? <laughs> These days, neither. I got to the point where I was where I was like, you know what? I'm going to start talking about, like, I'm 30. I'm going to start talking about this stuff I do. And if they're like, oh, weird, then that's just, like, not a person I need to be around. <laughs> it's oh, definitely yeah, yeah. harder. Yeah, it's, it's definitely harder to bring up comedy because people respond to it. Uh more strongly magic like a lot of people are like oh i don't know is that like D D?" um but comedy people are like oh i can't see you doing that or can you tell me a joke or like <laughs> that's crazy i've always wanted to do that where do you do it yeah. um so magic's a harder or comedy is a harder one to um to talk about in in like public yeah, because it it just makes for a weird perception of you all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I, I it's just a tongue in cheek joke, really, from from my end, mm-hmm. because like you were talking about how like everybody, all the comedians in your circle, are, like they're all closeted magic players, which I thought was, yeah, like, right, hilarious. It's like it's like I guess we can tell each other that we're comedians, but like magic, let's just keep it on the hush hush, and let's just like yeah, uh, I'll right. meet you here on Monday if you wanna if you wanna throw down magic cards. <laughs> It was so funny. And I think that was the moment that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start talking about this. <laughs> and I started tw- and I started tweeting about it. And that's like, it was right before I moved to Los Angeles that I started talking about magic publicly on Twitter. Yeah. And that's when my Twitter really started to grow. Right. Not immediately, but it was like just talking about my decks and talking about cards I liked and found. And, um, you know, magic Twitter really, really found me early. And, um, it was fun. It was fun. I was like, I, I didn't play magic as a kid, but I played Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't really play with the Pokemon rules. We played, we tried to play Yu-Gi-Oh with the rules. <laughs> Pokemon was more like, I summoned this. <laughs> like we threw out <laughs> all of our energy with cards. Pokemon cards. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't play, like, I had no idea what energy cards did at all. Yeah. Um, the most broken card in our na- neighborhood, like Pokemon group, was Chansey because it had 120 HP and it could deal 80 damage. We didn't read the part that it also deals 80 damage to itself. You know, right, like right. it was. It was Forget just, that part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it um, it was it was really fun for me to get back into into cards as an adult and be able to like. 
have a this connection to my younger self again, like live in sort of a fantasy nerd space where that I hadn't been a part of since I was, you know, like 14. How, how did you get into uh, card games and such initially? Was it just like it was just around you or like were you into games or you were you more of a um, nerd growing up? I don't know. Like describe it for definitely, me. Definitely. I was definitely more of a nerd growing up, but I like we everything I sort of my brother and I sort of received through our cousins who had a direct line to like nerd culture and then they gave it to us. So like I read I read a lot of anime when I was a kid um, and they introduced us to Pokemon and and they were like, it's this thing. And so we watched the show first and then just started started buying cards all the time. And that's like where like we, we used to go to this little game store that still exists in my hometown called Dean's Dugout. It's primarily baseball cards, but they that's where we picked up magic or Pokemon cards when I was a kid. I actually bought I bought an Ultimate Masters booster box from Dean's Dugout a few years ago, and it was like it was very fun to go back in and be like, "What's up, Dean?" <laughs> <laughs> so the owner is actually named Dean. So that's he's his name is Dean. He still works there. It's him and his wife there. It's like. It was really funny to be like, we used to buy Pokemon cards here when we were like seven years old and we're mm. back to buy, spend $200 on a magic box. <laughs> Shout out Dean's Dugout. So Dean's Dugout. Gotta Dean's go if you're in Naperville. Yes. And uh, were you into video games or other things as well? Um, so we were not, my parents didn't want us to have any video games that connected to the television. That was a rule that they were like, mm-mm. So okay. we didn't have any Nintendo or any of that, but we did have Game Boys because my parents were like, oh, if it'll make them shut up in the car, great. Uh, <laughs> so we had <laughs> so we, we had Game Boys. We, yeah. played, we played the Pokemon games probably the most, but I played, like, we had Fire Emblem and, and Mario and oh, yeah. um, Gex and, like, a, a whole bunch of... Yeah. We definitely had, had had Game Boy games. So you found a loophole. Like, it's not connected to the TV, yeah, the Game Boy. And tiny. also, the CCGs, like the cards, they're not connected to the TV, so you can play those. Yep. Yeah, that was fine, as long as my parents were just like, we don't want you sitting in front of the TV all day. Yeah. But you can, like, sit under the covers on your Game Boy for, for ages. <laughs> so before adulthood, like, what were the things that you were really into? Just hobbies or interests? Um... So I got really into Pokemon and that was my thing. Then then we played Yu-Gi-Oh as we got older and and started playing by the rules and being more competitive about that kind of stuff. And I read I read anime for a long time, but that was sort of um that was never a part of like my public persona after after when I was about 13. Because like it just when you're when you're a 13 year old girl and your your friends at school are not into it it's just like okay well that is a secret and it's never i'm never talking about it again so like you know i had i had like a beyblade and bionicle that i played with my brother but like you know my friends at school did not know that yeah and and it was a it just sort of became a thing i did when i was a kid yeah like i um, in in high in middle school and high school, I was a swimmer and I was in choir and I did the musical. Um, I did a little bit of of acting toward the end of my senior year and just sort of you know put my energy elsewhere. Um, 
And then, yeah, I was in, I was in church for a while and that took up a lot of my time. Um, I went to college and drank for four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did that. Did all the normal uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just like totally threw myself at college. I was in a sorority for four years then. Okay. And, um, I got really into comedy after that. So like my senior year of actually, no, it would have been earlier than that. It was my, my sophomore year. I got a, I got my first office job and it was just mind numbing. It was awful. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of my friends and she was like, I listened to stand up at work just to like get through the day. Cause you could, it was, we were doing just nothing work. Mm-hmm. So I listened to I started listening to stand up and I listened to it all day for eight hours, at five days a week. Mm-hmm. And um, my senior year, I was in a journalism class. I majored in in magazine journalism and graphic design. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I was in a magazine course where we were supposed to write a a first person experience piece. Um, where you do something that takes you out of your comfort zone. And I did stand up for that piece. I, I did like, I went to two open mics. I did two sets. Wow. And I wrote, and I wrote like a, a you know, 3000 word, word article about it. Um, and that was my first experience with stand up. What was the first experience like? Did you like blow it out of the water? Did you bomb? Like, what was it like? I mean, you're at an open mic, so like you can't really crush um because it's just it's just it's just comedians nobody cares um but it was amazing it felt incredible Mm -hmm. where it it did that thing where you know your knees get all knocky but like you're new and you're young and if you comedy is such a cool magic trick where you can like string some words in an order and get a physical response from other people where you're like wow i did that that's cool yeah you suddenly um, have this power, just just this amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been a writer, so it's such an incredible thing to like be able to say something you wrote and yeah. see immediately what kind of reaction that gets. Like that's right. that's there's not a lot of art forms where that's an option where you get to take something that you wrote and you performed and you also reap the benefits of it immediately. Right. You know, like if you're a painter, you make a painting, you sell the painting, you put the painting up and somebody sees it later, but you don't like watch them see it. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're an actress, you, you know, you, you can perform live, but most of the time you haven't written those words you're mm-hmm. doing, you're playing the person and stand up is like, it's you all the way. Like, like you made it, you performed it. And if they like it, they like it. And if they do not like it, they do not like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, is part of why it's so thrilling. Yeah. Um, so those first few times it's crazy. Like you don't even sort of like register anything other than like, I'm here and I'm doing it. And I like, there was a sound. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was incredible. And after I did it the first two times, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, I'm going to graduate college and then I'm going to do this. And I graduated in May of 2014 and I started doing stand up at as many open mics as I could get my paws on in, in Des Moines, Iowa, um, which was about three a week, um, as much as I could every week. I mean, that's, uh, 
from what I, I've never done stand up from what I hear, that's what you have to do, right? You have to like, just jump yeah. into the pool and just, just, just get the, get the reps. Right. So yeah, you just do it. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to suck for a while, for a long time, but it's, you just, you just do it. And I was obsessed. I'm such, that's who I am. Like once I start something, it's like, I'm just, this just is obsessive. This is, this is, I'm very fixated. Okay. So like on Wednesdays, me and a friend, we were driving two hours to Cedar Rapids to do an open mic on Wednesday nights and then driving two hours back and then going to work the next morning. You know, like it was just, we were doing five minutes in Cedar Rapids. We weren't getting yeah. paid. Um, and, but uh, you know, it just to get on, just to get on stage, just to do it again. Um, and then eventually I was like, okay, this is silly. I need to go to a place that has more opportunity for this and more shows and better performers. And, um, I moved to Denver Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where I learned to play magic. So it was like, um, I've had a, a number of different things that, that sort of dominated my life at different times. Um, and comedy was everywhere between 2014 and I mean, until the pandemic, basically. Yeah. And during those years when you're doing comedy and doing a try to do as much of it as possible, like, how did you, did you feel yourself like getting better? I mean, you must have gotten better, but like, how did you do it? Like, what, what was your process? Um, I mean, I definitely, I got a lot better. I was, I like, when I left Des Moines, I was getting booked on shows and I was doing, I was doing okay. I had material and was like, I can write things and I'm getting laughs and I'm getting booked. And I had met people in Chicago and in Des Moines and in Omaha that like were friends and respected what I was doing on stage by the time. So when I moved to Denver, I had, you know, at least a a confident base and in Denver, there's so many more comics and there's so much more stage time and the clubs are great. I, and I started working at comedy works, which gave me a lot of reps in front of really, really big, really real crowds. Um, and then I was in a, I was in a comedy group for a while and just toured with, um, three other women. And, um, it was just the, the way that I grew into it was just, it just, it was all I did. It was all I thought about. My mm-hmm. day job was sort of an afterthought just to make sure rent was paid. Mm-hmm. I took I took whatever job allowed allowed me to be flexible enough to also be out all night, you know. Um, and you just you just have to get better when you're in that much of a pressure cooker. If you just you just listen and respond and learn, and you hang out with comedians that are funnier than you, and you like work on your stuff, listen to comedy, and and go out of your way. I mean, a lot of it is just repetition and networking. It's like meeting other comedians and and traveling and doing comedy festivals and just trying to figure out a way to get paid for it. So it sounds like a lot of it is just immersing yourself fully, which is what you did. Yeah, that's um, that was that was what like I that was my priority number one for years for and then. It was crazy. So I, I moved to L.A. in 2018. Eh. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I had been... <laughs> when would, when the pandemic was March of 2019, is that right? 20, 
20, 20? I want to say time is time is becoming more blur for me. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I had been in I had been in LA just over a year when the pandemic hit. And mm-hmm. they say when you move to move to LA, especially if you're, if you're gonna like if you're here to perform, they're like the first year is the worst. And I had made it through the first year, and I was like, great, I'm starting to feel a little like confident. I had a show that I loved. I was doing a, a monthly show with a friend at a game store at Turn Zero. And I was like, I'm, I'm feel like more stable in LA than I've ever felt. Getting into and the then, groove, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, lockdown happened. Yeah, and um, it was just like, it they you know they just erased it. Comedy was just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, because you you can't go to mics. You can't do like everybody. Nobody really knew what to do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people went online and started trying to trying to like stream comedy on Twitch. That was a big yeah, thing. Yeah, people the beginning. talked about doing that and or the Zoom calls, but I just don't, didn't get yeah. that because like how can you even have that immediacy? I guess it's better than nothing, but it just feels like you're just it's like a one way sort of thing, right? It's it's tough. Different comics sort of took to it in different ways. A lot of people started podcasts just to keep making stuff. Um, yeah. But a lot of people did do online shows and did mics and like would show up and do three minutes to their computer every night. And I did a couple of them and I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I was like, I have to, I'm going to find something else. Yeah. And at that point I was already, I had already started Commander Sphere. So I was recording a podcast with Dan every week and I was like, you know what? I could, I'll just, I'll just do magic. And I just threw everything sort of behind you know, becoming a, a magic Twitter presence and growing the podcast and um, trying to be a better player and deck builder. And that's that was my life raft. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was playing, I, I was talking about this, uh, this sort of, not how I met my boyfriend, but how we, how we got together. So we were playing on Google Hangouts. This is before Spell Table. Oh, yeah. I was playing on Google Hangouts with friends and nobody had top down cameras yet. So it was just, you were looking at your friend's face and they would describe to you their board. And I was doing that every night for like three months. And that was how I got, how I got through the beginning of the pandemic and like losing stand up. That was just how I filled my time. Yeah. Do you still miss it though? Like if the world got back to, I mean, it's getting relatively back to normal, but like, is that a part of you that you've left behind or do you think you're still like kind of in and out of that? What a great question. <laughs> um, it's not something I've left behind, I don't think. There's definitely days where I'm like, oh, I'm never doing that again. Um, but it's still, like, I still want to write. I still want to make things. And whether that means I get on stage or not, uh, it's still sort of up in the air. Uh, Los Angeles is a very hard place to do stand-up just in general. Save time's hard to find. You end up, you can really only do like one, maybe two mics a night um, because you driving is everything so far apart. And yeah. a lot of the old shows and old mics don't exist anymore. So, I mean, and it would just mean starting from scratch in LA again. And I haven't talked myself into doing that yet. So it's sort of to be determined, honestly. But I'm, um, I'm still trying to make as much as possible. I do a, a comedy D&D show every Monday with a group of comedians from Denver. Um, 
And we've been doing that for about two years. So that's that's like my large comedy. And then, of course, the podcast is largely comedy-based. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's interesting. Like, even if I don't go back to stand-up, I think it still is a big part of... Like, I, don't, I would never regret it, and I would never be like, oh, it was a waste of time, because it, it brought me to... It changed me so much. You yeah. learn so much about yourself when it's like... And you, and you get really confident when every night you have to get on stage alone and be like, these are my ideas, take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, I think honestly it was a big, it was a big breaking point for me to when, when comedy was, when comedy disappeared, because I think I was like, I need comedy to be good and relevant to be an artist and to that, that's who I am now. And it just sort of being taken away makes you reevaluate and be like, okay, maybe it isn't. Maybe there's like, you know, maybe there's a more efficient way to do this or do I still love it? Um, Because there's no reason to do comedy if you don't love it. It's really hard. It takes a lot out of you. Having only observed comedy or comedians and Mm. what they do, I would, my feeling of it is just that there's it's absolutely unique like there's nothing else in the world that can Mm -hmm. compare to that which i think you've alluded to um but in a in a a lot of ways it's also like this sort of adrenaline chasing it's like if you have a more secure job or you're a comedian who's doing specials or movies instead of Mm -hmm. doing stand-up um it's a lot safer to do something else because when you're doing comedy there's always that there's that excitement, but the excitement comes with, I guess, stress or other things as well. Yeah. And and it's just like when you're in it, you don't you don't mind because you're in it. But when you're out of it, you're thinking like, do I really need to get back in it? It's kind of like, I don't know what the analogy is. It's like, uh, I'm a professional daredevil. And now that I'm yeah. uh, working an office job, do I really want to risk my physical well-being like as a professional daredevil again right i don't know if there's a part of that it's um there's definitely elements of that where you're like like that took up so much of of it also it it takes up a lot of your like self-worth is how you how you performed the night before and that's like you put you put a lot of stake in that and like being a good comic and being creative and being well liked and when you immediately just when you just remove all of that and you realize that you're like oh my gosh yeah i'm sort of free of that all of a sudden is like do i do i need it is, yeah. do, is this something that i need to be to feel whole and i haven't really come to an answer yet the hardest thing is like it's fun it's a ton of fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um i just have to figure out what you know what about it was fun and how how do i replicate that in a healthy way that doesn't uh you know um take up too much of of you know my well-being (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's great it's like i i was talking to a guy at 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 mtg vegas because he was like i want to get into comedy how do i do it and I and I gave him a bunch of advice, but I would say the main thing is is the moment you are not having fun, the moment that you're not you're not enjoying yourself, you look around and you're like, ugh, I feel miserable. Calm. Like go, just take a break. 
for a little bit because mm-hmm. it's um if you're doing it to make money there's easier ways to make money if you're doing it to to write there's easier ways to write if you don't like if you don't need this do something else because it's it can it can really pull you apart a little bit yeah in terms of comedy and then moving into magic Mm-hmm. Do you feel, do you feel similar things with magic from time to time? I'm wondering, like, do you feel like magic's pulling into directions you don't want to go into, like, or is it always fresh because you're you're in commander and you're building decks and you're able to talk about a lot of things? Is, I mean, magic's really just a like a like a rule set or a game engine, right? You can do like uh, infinite yeah. things with it. So I, I'm wondering if you feel. I guess the question here is like, do you feel that there are any things about magic which are also challenging for you just on an ongoing basis um i think the most similar issue between the two is the i i have tethered myself and my relationship to this game through social media and through the, like having an online presence and that that is a thing that is dangerous um where it's like I talked about tying up a lot of my self-worth in, you know, in, in standup, but it's like, it's very easy to tie up a lot of your self-worth in like what kind of engagement you got or in Twitter, like in Twitter engagement or in YouTube comments or in, um, even watch numbers. And like, it's, it's very easy to be like, Oh God, everybody hates me because this episode I made this week was bad. Um, or didn't do as well, or got. I still a have that comment. mindset of like I'm only as good as my last thing, right? Yeah, I mean you're still a creator, right? Like you still want to make good stuff, and you still want people to like it, and so that same thing still exists. And it's also like the fact that I have to be on Twitter and I have to be on Instagram and engaging with these things that I know are poisonous <laughs> is uh, is is another part of it where it's like, oh, yeah. I haven't made, I haven't posted on Instagram at all this week. And you're like, mm-hmm. I got to do something. And so you have to like, you know, set up an Instagram post in your house. It makes you feel a little silly. But it's also part of being, you know, it's the content we create as content creators, which is a term I hate, by the way, content yeah. creator. I don't have a better term, but it's so dumb. <laughs> How about just creative or something else? Yeah, just sure. Something for, else a personality for a while, even is fine. Like I, I'm a magic personality. Yeah. I usually say podcaster because yeah. like that says what I make at least. Like or inventive deck con- builder. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like content creator is just sounds like I'm like Building throwing up on the carpet you know like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like oh you gotta spit something out for the content machine today yeah. and, and it, it takes away a lot of like you know we're yeah. trying to make stuff that that's at least entertains and if not helps people it's not just yeah fill in space <laughs> i feel like even the the even the term like comedian is like so much better like just it, it's like sure yeah it, it's like it's general, but it's still like leaning towards some sort of aspirational thing. Whereas if you're a content creator, like, oh, is is your aspiration just to like go on the treadmill and just like post something? Yeah, like, just, like just we all have to do box? it. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, it's like check the boxes, and and it also sort of like I don't want to say trivializes, but it's like 
not all content creators or people in a field are made equal, right? It's like mm-hmm. I can be a filmmaker, but Martin Scorsese's out there, and he's like, you know, like five orders of magnitude better than sure. the average filmmaker hack. So it's like, like, like the stuff that you do, it's not something that the average person can do. So it's like mm-hmm. even for someone to say I'm a content creator, like you, I said it, not you, but it's like, it's like trivializing what that thing is because you know what I mean? I don't know if I've expressed myself that. that no, well, I but. like, I can, I think it's, Oh God, it's so annoying, but it's more than just content. We're not just trying to be like, okay, fill the glass like up to the top and then we're, something. and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like Ideas we're, yeah, we're making listicles. Like, yeah. Um, but like there's intention behind what we make and we're, we're trying to like, you know, achieve something like when, when Dan and I set out to do to do Commander Sphere, we were like, you know, there's a lot of Commander content that talks about cards and deck building and making you a better player and making like trying to make everything more powerful and more efficient. And we were like, what if we just didn't? What if we just like made something that was fun to listen to and prioritized the social side of the game over the magic side of the game? Um and that was really our goal when we made it was to like engage with the more nebulous sides of the format. Um, because we just didn't see a lot of people doing that. There was a lot of like, you know, how to build white in commander and not enough of like how to be a good opponent or how to be like, how to build a deck that you want to play or how to, um, how to communicate with, with an opponent you don't know before. Like, or just like, you know, make a silly joke about the cards we're playing with and make sure that we're engaging with this as a game and not, you know, a life or death thing. You know, right. we did a we did this huge we did two episodes on which magic dragon would make the best step dragon. <laughs> yeah. Like that doesn't make anybody better, but it was right. like right. you know, we're trying to play with this game from uh, from the game side rather than mm-hmm. like a competitive entity mm-hmm. um so it's it, yeah it, it just feels like oh it's content <laughs> like it feels like i don't know so is plato so is sand it's, <laughs> it's like it's, it's not it's not just content we're i don't know we're trying to like yeah it's expression right it's it. yeah, it's doing yeah. something different because i that's what i that's one thing i really love about your podcast the one you have with dan is just that it's your voice right it's mm-hmm. it's like it the thing i love about commander spear is just that when i listen to it it feels like it's just two friends having a conversation it's not forced like obviously mm-hmm. some of it is planned because we're let's be real it's a podcast right so you have yeah. notes and things like that but I, I think first of all i feel i feel like two points one is that you and dan have a really good chemistry so it's like you're just really chill and you mm. I, I don't want to say complete each other's sentences but like there's a kind of there's a kind of like you'd know each otherness in it mm. which isn't which isn't fake because it's very obvious it's authentic it's very mm. different from like me talking to you today which is like i'm i'm trying to figure out you're timing, you're trying to figure me out. And we never talk like, who is this guy talking to me right now and asking me these questions. Uh, so you and Dan have a real good, um, this developed chemistry, right? Which I assume is mm. before the the podcast even. Yeah. Um, and secondly, it's just like, there's that comedy writing stuff on display because like, you know, we are not the same. Like just doing a podcast about magic doesn't mean that it has to be about 
a listicle. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of people are into like, you know, how do I build yeah, CDH deck with this commander or whatever? And you guys can do that too. But it's like, it's like the jokes and the, the, it, the t- I don't know what you call that, a kitchen table conversations. Like these are the things mm. that like, honestly, I think that makes the podcast have a longer longevity because people feel like these are people that I could imagine hanging out with. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. It's not just like, oh, you know, Rachel and Dan are dumping this information to me. Like, these are the five decks mm-hmm. you must play. Uh, here's yeah. how you sideboard. Um, and I feel like that's got to, like, first of all, I think that's probably, like, more in line with your ethos, what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I think it also prevents you from burning out because you're just more like, it's more about being yourself, right? Yeah. And I'm, like, that was the, the a big thing that Dan and I talked about before when we made the podcast is we were like, you know what, we could make a podcast that's like, here's how to do this. Um, but we're not the people for that. We're not the best ones at it, for sure. Like, every there's a ton of people that make incredible decks and make incredible deck techs about them, and they're great at it, and they're better at that. So what do Dan and I bring that, that is special about us you know what experience do do we bring to the table and that's really what we tried to make in in commander sphere and i think it's um it resonated with a lot of people we've been we've been really lucky and yeah like i've known i've known dan for years i met dan through comedy and dan so dan played magic as a kid and um but but wasn't playing when i met him and we met at a storytelling show in Chicago because we grew up not super far from each other. But um, I met him at a storytelling show and we did a ton of, of, of shows together. I did a lot of comedy festivals with Dan. We never lived in the same city for a long time, but we were always like, he was always one of the guys that I, I just hung out with at the bar. And um, when he moved to Los Angeles and I moved about a year after he did, and when I came to town, he was like, all right, I, I brought my magic cards and I'm going to we're going to we're going to play magic. So I like sort of dragged Dan back into back into magic <laughs> because I was like, I'm moving to L.A. I don't know anybody who plays yep. magic here and I know you and I know you have magic cards and you're going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like I did actually did that to a number of friends in L.A. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I mean that that uh, that chemistry and like our comedy backgrounds and our writing backgrounds, we were like, we can make something that's different and cool and and fun for us to make. Um, and that's like beyond that, that's a big deal for 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 performers in LA is to have a diverse portfolio where you're like, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a stand up, and I've got a podcast, and I come with this base audience, and all of that is like important as to get any sort of clout out here. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we got to just make something. Let's just make something. Yeah. And then we ended up making something that it like has been more fun than almost anything else I've made, which is, which is a blast. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, that's great. And, you know, having done commander spear all this time now, or maybe just being a create, we just talked about how bad this term is, but being a magic creative or someone yeah. who's in the public magic world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that you wish that you you know now that you wish you might have told yourself when you got started, at least in the magic space? Man, I was so worried about doing it right, <laughs> and just like I think that's just sure your that's it. just your personality, right? Or- yeah, I just really I I really like being good at stuff. 
I want to be a good deck builder. I want to be a good magic player. I want to be a good podcaster and a good comedian. And I want to be good at it. And I work really hard to do that. And I think that I get in my own way a lot because you're like, ever I want, if I'm going to make it, I want it to be great. And that kind of thinking is the kind of stuff that prevents you getting on stage. It's the thing that prevents you from just buying the mic and starting. It's the thing that prevents you from starting streaming. And you're just like, oh, I have to have the perfect setup or the perfect this or the perfect that. And it was just like, you just do it. <laughs> Nobody's going to listen to the old episodes anyway. And like the sooner you start now, the sooner you're going to be good at it. Because yeah. like you're going to be bad. <laughs> You've never done it before. You're going to be bad at it. And like this is advice I'd given to people in comedy for so long. It's just get on stage. It doesn't matter. Write anything. Who yeah. cares? It's going to be bad no matter what it is. So just write something and put it on stage. Just start streaming. And you're like, I, nobody's going to watch me. Nobody's going to watch you if you start in six months. Mm-hmm. Start now. You'll have 15 more watchers six months from now, you know? It's all of this stuff takes time and practice. And giving yourself the ability to grow and permission to, like, start before you're ready is really important. Hearing you describe, you know, your, your life and the different progressions you've had, it just seems to me like you, you have that, that mindset or that, that gene where you're like, you're willing to take the risk or like jump into something or be courageous. Like, where do you think you got mm-hmm. that from? Um, gosh, I don't know. I just, I was encouraged when I was young just to always be doing something. Just my my mom had this thing where she was like you you have to be doing something after school. I don't I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's like if you're doing the musical or you're in a math club or if you're doing a sport, it doesn't matter. You have to be doing something. And if you're not doing one of those things, you're getting a job. Because she just wanted us to have a schedule and have like a thing that to keep track of and be proud of. And I think that encouragement and just being like, all right, well, it's, we're going from swimming season to musical season and those are unrelated, (laughs) but you just, you know, have a, have a thing to, to keep you busy. Um, that's probably part of it. I, I've always wanted, like been, big on just moving. I like, like I never moved when I was a kid. And um, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I can't move. I don't know anybody there. And it's like, yeah, you will. And it's really scary, but um, it was a big part of me growing and getting to know myself and feeling confident as like an individual is just starting over a number of times in different communities and figuring out, you know, getting some confidence. I think having to claw my way from the bottom of the comedy scene up to the, you know, upper echelon and two different scenes made it really made me really comfortable trying to do it in the magic scene. Just like having confidence coming in and making something and making friends. And um, yeah, I don't I don't know where it comes from, I guess, necessarily, but uh, I like to be busy. (laughs) Are you like your mom in a lot of ways? I mean, I mean, I know you mentioned that uh, you know she she 
she put some rules or guidelines in place like you should always be mm -hmm. doing something but i mean what are the resemblances that you share with your your mother um we have the same sense of humor and um i think she really you know made us all very aware of how we speak and how we present ourselves and how to be uh you know, she always talked to us like adults when we were little, where it's just like we were always the kids that were like, wait, what words are you saying? You're seven, you know, um, and we were just sort of all weird little precocious kids. And I think that that all comes from my mom and her just, you know, being being real with us as much as she could. And uh, so that that's all very similar my mom's always been a hobby person where she's got she's got one thing that she's really digging into and trying to figure out how to make work. So it yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, my mom does not get the the board get the like card game thing. I was gonna <laughs> ask much. if you taught her magic yet. So. No, she's very little interest in that kind of stuff. Uh, we tried to teach her Catan and she was like, this is not for me. Mm. Uh, more of a Scrabble lady. Ah, okay. uh, so so word games for sure yeah. um but my dad's an engineer so we sort of had both both sides mm -hmm. like both you know the, the communicator and the the, the logician mm -hmm. uh that i think my blended well in in my brother and i yeah uh, i also have a sister who is not not into magic stuff as much and she's she's significantly younger than me so she didn't jump onto the card game thing as much because she was like when we were playing we were, I was probably between you know like 12 and 14 mm -hmm. so she was six and seven was just like a little too young yeah that's to quite a when you're younger that's quite, that a, stuff. quite a large age age gap yeah yeah so yeah. she was never quite as as part of of like that culture that my brother and I had for for such a long time but um yeah, it's been a been a big part of my life as yeah. an adult, which is sort of surprising when you know you spend most of your life away from it to come back to it when I was at like 26 is uh sort of fun. <laughs> yeah. Are you still close to your folks? Are they still back home? Mm -hmm. Or Yep. My parents are both outside of Chicago and um we see them as much as we can. Obviously, it's a long it's a long hike out there, but uh yeah. We do weekly calls with the family. My sister's, my brother is, is in, in Los Angeles area as well, so I see him the most. My sister's in Montana, mm -hmm. and my parents are outside of Chicago. So we're, we're all spread out these days, but we definitely stay close. Nice. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess the last part here are, if you don't mind, I'll do some rapid-fire questions with you. They may not be related. All right. All right. This is very spontaneous stuff. <laughs> some of this from the community. Some of it's just like we didn't have a chance to ask yet. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your process when you're working on a new deck list or a new build? Uh, I go to Scryfall and add 170 cards and then slowly chip away at the deck from there. Uh, <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a really bad process. Don't do it. How do you um, how do you know what commanders to to build around, or are, or are you just full of ideas where it's like you have a notebook? It's like you know, there's five new commanders. I got like you know, thirty ideas mm -hmm. for these commanders. 
Um, lately it's been what's in my binder and how can I make this work? So I've been working backwards a little bit rather than starting from commanders. I've been starting from like, okay, I have an ink shield and I need to get ink shield into a deck. So what does that deck look like? And then I'll work backwards into a commander. Um, but I like commanders that make weird, bad cards interesting and have like cool synergies. So I, I, if there's a card that I'm like, I don't know how this works, but I bet there's a cool way that it does work. Those are the commanders that catch my attention the quickest. So like one of the, like Octavia was a big one. It grabbed me immediately where I was like, this is weird. We're using spells to turn creatures into eight eights. What does this deck look like? And what, you know, what is, is it self mill? Is it like, is it full of creatures? Are we doing unblockable creatures? Um, and then from there, I just like to be flexible. Like you just, the biggest thing about deck building is listening to your deck. So playing it and being like, oh, this was weird. Throw all this out. Let's get all this in. And just knowing that, you know, once you have a have 100, it's, it's not set in stone. In your mind, who do you think is the, who are the people that you think are the, whom you think are the, the most creative deck builders out there? And you can say yourself as well, but mm-hmm. any names that come to mind? Uh, Rebel Sun makes the makes straight up the the coolest decks on online, like Cedh or otherwise. Uh, she was the one that made me get into Grixis. She was like, played this incredible Nicol Bolas like sort of uh, political controly deck, and I it was I was like, what is this? <laughs> uh, I still haven't seen the deck list, and I'm gonna I would beg her for it. It's so cool. Um. So she's my favorite, but I've definitely taken a lot of inspiration from uh, Kristen from Ameria Shepherd, um, particularly in how I build white and aggro decks and how I pilot them. Um, I think a lot of like a lot of my deck building style comes from playing with her and and talking to her about what what a white deck should look like. What's your favorite magic related memory? Um. God, there are so many. Um, my first game nights was unbelievable and was so fun. Uh, a lot of those nights on on Monday nights in the bar where you're just in a closed bar at a huge wooden table where we're playing two, three commander games all at the same time with all of you know my best friends at the time. These are great commander memories. I played commander in the back of my friend's wedding with a bunch of like the groomsmen and it was such a great time. Um, Magic Fest with Dan and some of my closest Magic friends and my boyfriend was incredible. That was my that was my first Magic Fest or uh, was was Mad- MTG Las Vegas uh, in on Thanksgiving. Um, my the moment that makes me laugh the most. I was playing my Feldegriff deck and I had, was playing against my friend who had a, a Kozilek on board and everyone was like we don't have an answer for Kozilek we gotta die to this Kozilek we gotta kill this Kozilek and I had a card called Mercy Killing which makes a player sacrifice target creature and they make that many one ones equal to its power oh. like little elves okay so I I cast Mercy I was in my Feldegriff deck so I, it benefits from my opponents having a lot of creatures yep um, so I Mercy Killing to this Kozilek 
and he called the the resulting elf tokens the Kozalets. Like they were a little kick line of elves. Yeah, yeah. And we just did, you know, spent the rest of the game talking about the Kozalets and slowly killing off members of the Kozalets dance team. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that every time I cast the card, I think about it. Yeah. Very cool. (laughs) Rachel, what's your process for deciding figuring out what to tweet next because i look at your (laughs) tweets and they're all wonderful they're all like high engagement they're all like cool ideas and uh what's your process like um it's usually whatever i'm working on or whatever i'm thinking about so it's like i like to do questions that that get people talking if i do a question it's usually about deck building or it's about like habits so if, if like dan and i are working on a on an episode about rule zero it's like answering a question that we don't really know the answer to is i like to do polls on twitter for that if i post a card that i like it's probably one that i found or just added to a deck list um i have folders and folders and folders full of cards that i've pulled and just like so sometimes i'll pull one out of those um yeah, it's it's all real stream of conscious type things. Um, Spontaneous, yeah. Yeah, and I like to like I like to talk about my deck changes, and I like to talk about new cards I'm adding or removing, or cards that I I, I really like and don't see a lot of. Um, yeah, just because I I really like this sort of ongoing battle against staples, where it's like there's so many cool cards and there's so many powerful cards and i just like to be to be like look at this one you've never seen it before but it's great in your deck take out some card that you don't feel anything for and put in something cool um that's my favorite thing to take out like a card that you're like oh this is i don't there's no emotional response to this card at all to like you know cut a smothering tithe to put in a cool like weird instant so I don't know. I try and encourage that kind of behavior on Twitter. What's the weirdest place that you've ever been recognized as a magic celebrity or influencer? <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is the weirdest place, but the weirdest time I was, uh, it was at MTG Las Vegas and I was with my boyfriend who has also played on I Hate Your Deck. Um, and Johannes Voss, who is an artist mm-hmm. for, for Magic. He's done, like, most of the Thalias. Yep. Um, he stopped us and was like, oh, my God, I've seen you guys. And he, he flew in from Germany, and he didn't – it was his first American um, show. So we had no banners. He had no, like, product. It was just him with, like, a notebook piece of paper that said signatures $5 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, who's this guy that, like, has a full <laughs> yeah. booth? But it's just him, and it's yeah. an empty booth. Right. We're like, are you an artist? And he's like, I'm Johannes Voss. And we're like, what? <laughs> and we got to play. It was really strange being like recognized by a magic like, icon. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Was the was definitely the weirdest one. And how then do we he, how do you know game, of you? Like, was it him. through through game nights or something? Yeah, or? He'd, he'd seen he'd seen us on YouTube. Wow. Where uh, he just he'd seen us in, in gameplay and, and was just like, I love you guys. I play Commander too. We have to get a game in. Right. And we got a game in with, with Johannes Voss on like the Sunday before we left. And it was so much fun. It was such a great game. 
It's like being he stopped was, on the street was, by, by Chris Rock and be like, you're that person. It was so strange. It was just like, you, what? And he's like, he's just this lovely, this lovely man who's so excited about Commander and was really wanted to talk about it. And we were like, can you sign some cars? He's like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> it's like, he's a r- real charming person. It was very fun. Yeah, very unexpected and fun. Got it. Mm. Okay, what's the deal with hippos? <laughs> this is some sort of I have no idea. This has gotta be an in joke of some sort, right? I so my like primary deck is a Feldegriff deck. Um and it's one of my oldest decks and it started as a list, like as a commander's quarters budget list. It was yep. like my third third commander deck ever. And it's grown and grown and grown into just like my go to, you know, um most recognizable deck. But um Feldegriff makes one one hippo tokens which is not a, a token that magic has wizard, wizards have ever printed um so instead of using cards like instead of using actual cards or making hippo tokens i use tiny rubber hippo hippos yep as as tokens and i give them to my opponents and they set them up on their board yeah and it's sort of spiraled from from there from that initial joke into like okay, well, now I need hippo sleeves, and we've got to have a hippo bag for the bag of hippos. And um, I, we did we commissioned art from Andre Garcia that has uh, this giant Feldegriff with a turtle riding on its head. And um, it's, yeah. Right, but it, what's it, the affinity became... with Feldegriff? Was it like, did you have a hippo when you were a child or something? I don't, oh, unless... yes, of course, my pet hippo. Yeah. Um, I So I like, Feldegriff is exactly the, my my style of, of how I want to play where I want to be the least scary deck at the table. I want to engage with the board as a whole where it's like, I, I want to be very interactive and not necessarily very disruptive. Like I really want to impact everybody else's board. And I like, I, I want to create a puzzle that they have to figure out. Um, and Feldegriff gives you this, this way to, affect combat that you're not involved in and like mm-hmm. um it's very innocuous where people look at it and make assumptions about what's in the 99 they're like oh you're playing Feldegriff. all right this is like a group hug pile and mine is not mine's a combo deck and it's a control deck and it uses like it uses Feldegriff to impact combat and sort of uh bring the player who's behind uh, bring him on as an ally to, uh, against you know the player who's ahead and it's just it's, it just does everything that that I want to do in Commander. It's like, it's it does a lot for the the credit that people give Feldegriff. That is that is very cool. Enigmatic, underdog, under hippo. Um, it's just it's yeah. just really it's really cool. It's very like out of left field, whatever the phrase is, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I like any any deck that can sort of subvert people's expectations, where you're like, okay. I there's so many commanders that like if you see a Yuriko deck, you know what yeah. Yuriko is going to yeah. do, you know exactly what's how yeah. you're going to die, you know exactly how to interrupt that. Mm-hmm. And I really like that Feldegriff is like you have no idea how you're going to die, mm-hmm. and it is weird, and you don't know what they're doing. Um, it's a question, but yeah, and it it leaves your your players like it it makes you find weird lines to win the game, and mm-hmm. it makes your opponents not know mm-hmm. quite what you're doing and. I think that's really fun. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to have a lot of different weird, weird ways to 
surprise your opponents. Yeah. That's what I want to do is, is come out of nowhere. And that's why you're one of the best and coolest people in Magic today, Rachel. So <laughs> final question, where can people find yeah. you on social wherever, or wherever it is that you would like to be found? Uh, so I am on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok personally as, as Rachel Reeks. Uh, you can find the Commander Sphere on uh, anywhere that you've listened to podcasts, but we are also on YouTube now. So check us out on YouTube, subscribe and like and do all that stuff. Um, we're still, we're still new and figuring out that platform. So, uh, we can use all the help we can get over there. Um, and I also play live D and D every Monday with a group of comedians in a show called better than heroes. Um, that's a Spelljammer inspired game. So it's D and D in space. It's really goofy. It's really fun. Um, and we've got some big surprises coming up, uh, in the next few weeks. So check that out as well. I Excellent. Think, I think that's everything. That's that's uh, hopefully everything. That's a lot. That's great. So yeah. yeah, that'll do. I think that'll do. Yeah, yeah. Rachel, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a great rest of the the evening over there. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Humans of Magic. And you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humans of magic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.